0: Customers are always paying attention. You can't miss a beat. There is nowhere that's more true than with an institution of higher learning, where students are both customers and residents. So setting a standard for the student experience is paramount for leadership. Just ask Miguel Martinez-Science, president of St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York, of which I happen to also be an alumna. Coming up, You'll hear why, as a leader, Miguel has zero tolerance policy for disrespect of frontline employees and believes in setting the right standards for how others interact with each other in the communities he creates. Understanding that because not all students are the same, a hybrid model of in-person and online services is required, the importance of service to others and what it really means to be lucky. And how Miguel and his team have led the college through the pandemic without missing a beat of attention to customer experience. Culture starts at the top and great customer experience. The only competitive strategy in today's world is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. Hi, Miguel. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Great to be here.
0: I'm particularly excited to, to have you on the show today, since I myself am an, an alum of St. Francis College, mm-hmm. class of 2005. Um, and although you changed the tagline of Small College of Big Dreams, mm-hmm. did get me a couple of interview successes for uh-huh. internships in 2005, I think also because I was uh, short and small, it kind of fit my own branding. <laughs> so people were very excited with that tagline. Yeah. Well, before we start, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you mind uh sharing something about yourself that we could not find on a Google search, for example?
1: I don't know what there is that you can't find on Google search now, but uh eh, look, I, I think I'll tell you one thing that's maybe interesting for for people. Uh eh, I was in um when I was living in Springfield, Ohio, my wife and I were in Springfield, Ohio. We helped uh, start a nonprofit. We were on the board, the founding board of a nonprofit. I have a Dancing with Celebrities credentials, and <laughs> relatedly, I was a judge. After they they kicked me off the dance floor for the next year, so I was a judge as well the the following two years. Is
0: there a recording of that somewhere hidden? No, we have
1: no, no recording. No, re- ah. I don't think so. You never
0: know. I'll definitely check. Maybe I'll find <laughs> something later.
1: <laughs>
0: so I know that you're very passionate about student experience, and I wanted to ask you about the worst or the best customer experience that you have had in your own experience.
1: The worst or best, and best probably you want both. Eh?
0: I know you can actually choose one or the other.
1: Let me let me give you one that I was. Um, it was the first time that I. I had a sense for the customer experience in a real sense. And it was, this is a long time ago. Um, I was at a golf resort. It's called Grand Cypress in Orlando. Uh, I assume it's still there. But one of the things that I realized, they had attention to every detail. So they had already anticipated what the issues were prior to there being an issue. As a consequence, as you know, right for the customer, then there are no issues.
0: One like <laughs> yeah. of the
1: things that it was really um, was really uh, impressive in the w- in the way that they attended to the simplest of things. Right again, this was a golf resort, so the simplest of things. Uh, whether your towel on your bag had a, was wet enough to clean your clubs, right? Which which is unusual. People might think that's common. That's not that common. No, I've played at very high end, end resorts, and so this was a place that really attended to the, the the with precision and differently. The other thing that I found about them that they were attentive. I see this in some restaurants as well. They were attentive without being intrusive. Mm-hmm. So they were present. So you were never having to find somebody because there was always somebody within right sight, but you didn't feel like they were within sight, right? You know, so they weren't crowding. So I think those are two features that you know you can depend on folks in the space, right? That was important. They've also attended to details that in some cases you don't even think about, right? Yes. You're not even thinking about, but they're, they're aware of it. And I, I think... That's an important. I've seen that in some some exceptional restaurants, and I'll just say, let me just say, I think that I, I want to say about. I don't believe the customer's always right. Sometimes the customer's wrong, right? And so sometimes well, the customer's always right. No, that's not always the case, right? As I tell my own team, if somebody is disrespectful to you, that's inappropriate. It doesn't matter to me that they're the customer. You don't. You don't. Have, disrespect doesn't have to be tolerated. But what I what I do think sometimes you you see is that uh, some organizations or the employees within the organizations are dismissive of the desires of the customer which is different right that's a different kind of play or that they think that they know better than you what it is that you should want and i always think that's a dangerous thing and and i've seen that also in uh, i just use this cuz i like to eat out a lot so i've seen it in restaurants you know when when somebody says you say you know, can you put the sauce on the side? And so, and the server says, the chef doesn't li- want to do that. Okay. I appreciate the chef doesn't want to do that, but I would prefer if the sauce was on the side. Right? That's <laughs> a simple thing. Whereas, it and, and I would say this, it's inconsequential. Now, if it's consequential, I'm very attentive to the way that people are treated. And I'm also attentive to the way that people that look like they shouldn't be treated well or treated. That's another piece which I think is really important. But when I remember when I went to, uh, we went to, uh, to um, Carmel to Pebble Beach, the resort. And um, I have a good friend and his, his nephew is uh, one of the managers of one of the villa's facilities there. He's the hotel manager. So, you know, he's, go- he's a high person. What I love, though, we didn't say anything. We went in, we were treated like royalty, right? I mean, it was incredible, spectacular service. And when I said, when we were checking in, the service was already spectacular. And when I was finalizing the check-in, I said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking for uh, Ricky. He told me to call when I got here. And they said, you know, right, Ricky Camundo? I said, yeah, I will get him right away. But here's where I think is important. I was... The rest of that trip, I was treated exactly the same as I was treated prior to them knowing that I knew the manager, which is another beauty. Sometimes, you know how you see in restaurants and other places where they treat certain people one way and other people a different way? That, for me, is another pet peeve. Sorry. No,
0: it's great. But that's, uh, in, in my business, that's what we call hospitality standards. And there is a method... And a training and and a whole path of how you get an organization to define what those hospitality Mm -hmm. standards are. And once they become a standard, it doesn't matter who walks in through the door. Um, It's it's just part of how you do your job. Uh, So it it is something people invest in that care about customer experience. um, And it's very nice to receive it on the other side. Um, Well, for those who don't know what a president of a college does, (laughs) can you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what is a president of a college responsible for and what do you do every day?
1: I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure out what (laughs) what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) there are a variety of things. I mean, there's a there's a number of things that people say that we're externally facing and we're not internal, and and it's you know people make all sorts of things up. I think it depends on the institution and what the institution needs from you, right? You know, you're you're principally, obviously, the the kind of voice and face of the institution. That's important, and I think relative to what you we're we're talking about in terms of the the experience, the customer experience, right? I think that we set the the standard for what that's like, right? And I think, you know, I want to just give a couple of examples. I'll tell I'll answer the question about the presidency. But when I come in, when I was, when I first arrived here, they said, do you want the key to the back door? And I say, to the back door, what do you mean? And they say, you can go in through Jerusalem and it goes to your office through the other street. And I say, well, why would I do that? And they said, no, you know, the presidents have had that a key, be, you know, before you, I said, no, I'm going to come in. I'm going to greet everyone. Right. And they said, okay, we suspected your personality wasn't one to walk through the back door, but we wanted to offer it. So I just to tell you, I don't even have the key so I can't even be tempted to come in the back door <laughs> it's not even, because it's closer to my house actually, yeah, only a block, but it's still closer. Uh, but here's the other thing. And I told this to the staff because I think this is important in terms of the way you, you think about these things. In, in the business of the customer experience. I think that your customer's are always paying attention in my view, right? In our case as students, but they're always paying attention. I think it was my second, maybe my third cabinet meeting. And I said, I wanna tell everybody one thing. I have zero tolerance for something and I've already witnessed it. So I'm gonna give everyone notice and I wanna be very clear, this is zero tolerance. So if I see it again, you will not be employed, right, is it for me as a standard. What is It's is walking into this building and not acknowledging our security, not acknowledging our concierge, not acknowledging housekeeping, not acknowledging food service. See, I, I told them, I'm not going to tolerate it. Why? Because I think that sets the standard, right? Even though we don't have the same way, hospitality standard, but it sets the standard for how others interact with each other. And it also sets the standard for the customer, in our case, our students, to say, wow, okay, this is the way we're supposed to interact in this space, in this community, right? Which is a little different than a, than a pure, right, consumer-driven business, but I don't think it's that much different. No, because it's not. Because what, huh? what you see is, and so what happens? When you begin to think about the stakeholders of the institution, in our case, organization, differently, they start to think of themselves differently. So as a president, just try to move. That's part of what I have to do. I have to set that standard, right, which is uh, the ethos, the culture has to come from the top. Yes, it bubbles from the bottom. But if you don't set the standard from the top, it doesn't really, I think, manifest itself in the organization. Look, my day, I can go from having a conversation about bonds, you know, bond issuance, restructuring our bonds, uh, to lease arrangements, to partnerships with international institutions, to partnerships with community. I'm on the chamber of the Brooklyn uh, chamber of, uh, on the board. We're of a the
0: member. Bo-
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I'm on the board of the Brooklyn chamber of commerce. I work with elected officials a great deal. So I'm on, a, I'm on the executive uh, committee for the Commission of Independent College and Universities. So it just, I mean, my days. one of the things I like, and my wife would tell you this, I can't sit still. And I also don't like routine. So if you like routine, you shouldn't be a college president, right? Because it's no so routine, right? Every single day is different. Um, but what I love the most And I think I I was telling a friend of mine the other day something about this. You know, uh, I said, I love being student-facing, which means consumer-facing, right? And I think that for me, you know, because he was saying, you could just do any kind of business, right? I said, not any kind of business. I want to be sure that I like the folks that are being served. And if that's the case, it doesn't make any difference to me because I think what I'm I've gotten better at over the years, obviously, we all get better, is understanding how to put the student, in our case, at the center of all the conversations, right? And I think good businesses put their consumer, right, their customer at the center of the conversation. And then, not far from that, let me say this piece, the are the staff. One of the things I always thought was peculiar was, and I understand why people do this, you know when you go to a department store or any a store, And uh, not in the city, because it's different, but in in suburban areas. And the cars are parked really, really far away. And it turns out that those are the employees.
0: Yes, yes.
1: You know, and I always say, I understand that you don't want to have the first spot. But my God, why do you have to put them so far away when it rains? I mean, why are you treating your that person that comes in from very far? They bring that attitude to the to yes. work.
0: They're mad by the time they get to the building.
1: Right. <laughs> it doesn't, It's not going to have an impact on your customer. Right. You want miraculously, they just came through a rainstorm and they're soaking wet and you want to go, hi, how are you? How can I help you? There's no way that's going to happen. So I also think that although we put the customer, in our case, the student, the center, the the concentric circle is very tight. You have to treat, in my case, the faculty and staff and administration very well so that they can continue to keep the students at the center.
0: Yeah, that's such a, such a great point. If you're interested to continue this conversation, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at our website, com, or you can reach out directly to me at Liliana at the dot com. Just mention you are a listener of this podcast, and we will offer you a free customer experience consultation. Where we will explore how we can improve your customer experience. That is the human part of of experience design, as we call it. But then there is the technology part that is coming more and more as as we are advancing in. I don't know what, in life, I guess. How, for those that are listening to us, um, what do you think is the answer to incorporating the technology in the journey of, of a student? What are your thoughts on that? Because it is something that needs to be solved or fused one way or another. Um, and I, I know for a fact it's it's a challenge across industries, but for student yeah. experience it's it's a pretty um new and somewhat daunting task
1: yeah look i think i think i'll go back to we we have to think about it from the perspective of the student first and we and we cannot make assumptions because i've been talking to a lot of people about this this question about you know technology and its role in education etc and i say look we like to believe I think this is wrong, but i would say we like to believe um, that these are digital natives, right? So, you know, an 18-year-old grew up with an iPhone. i just give you a silly example, right? My daughter, I was in a bagel shop with her in, uh, I live in Brooklyn. I was in a bagel shop in Park Slope. And she says to me, you know, Papi, can I have your phone? I need to call Mommy. And I said, no. She says, my phone died. I said, well, figure it out. And she said, what do you mean figure it out? I said, what would you do if I wasn't here? And you got to call mommy. What are you going to do? Right? She's like, "Puppy, don't make me go to the counter and ask them to use the phone. That's not nice. I said, okay, but let's imagine how you would solve the problem. Right? And it was interesting because she couldn't even begin to think about how to solve the problem. Number mm-hmm. one. Right? So there are some limitations there really in what they take for granted. That's one. Right? But don't think, because then people say, you see, because they're, they're more adept. No, they're not. They're not more adept in the ways that you would need them to be adept to actually learn, right, in a, in a way that's mediated through, with technology. In fact, I would tell you, this is going to sound counterintuitive. I think some of them are more clumsy when it comes to the learning via technology. Why is that? First, I would say this. Learning has to be active. And we have gotten used to, for the students, for learning to feel passive. It, it, the one metaphor I hate is this idea of the sponge metaphor, you know, that children yes. are sponges. That one, if you hear me talk sometimes, I always I, I bring this up. I think it's one of the worst metaphors and dangerous. And I like Maria Montessori, who had the, the text, The Absorber Mind. But here's why I think. Why? Because it creates in the mind of the learner the idea that they're going right, to receive. receive the information... And they absorb it. But that doesn't work that way. The way you you retain information, and the science of learning is clear on this, is by actively engaged in the the learning, right? And the process, right? You have space and you have interleaving, you recall, you learn how to recall. And technology allows us to do that very well. The problem is that the learner doesn't know how to learn. Not in technology or face-to-face. They have difficulty learning how to learn. Because the science of learning has not been integrated into education at scale. And so as a consequence, when you layer technology, it's now an element that folks don't know. How, how do you do that? Right? How do you do it? Now, in fact, you can do it better. Because let me give you a sense. I get excited. Because this, this isn't. Look, I don't think, it, I don't think the technology is the panacea. And I don't think it's the panacea in the case of the customer experience. But I think it's no. an integral part of how we think about it and how we work. And we can integrate it well or integrate it poorly, right? But I can do some things. I teach, I teach a philosophy class at the college. I can do some things online that I couldn't. I can't do face-to-face, right? And so there are ways that I can create groups instantaneously. I don't have to say move your chairs around. I just hit a button. They're in groups. I hit a button. I bring them back. I go visit each group, right? It takes me a second. I don't have to walk anywhere, right? I can create shared experiences. They can upload documents. We can share them immediately, Right. I don't have to get the one piece of paper and show it to the class. Right. I can do it. So there's a lot of things that that we can do. But now here we have to think about it from the perspective of the the student. All all students aren't made the same. So I just want to emphasize. Right. So if you're a student, I'm going to generalize. Let's just say let's use the elite of the elite, going to Harvard. We can make certain assumptions about 95 percent of those students. Right. They have access to good technology. They have access to good Wi-Fi if they have to be home, right, et cetera, et cetera. They went probably to a fairly strong high school, right? So they have some ability because they probably already done technology. Or you, and then you, Or you serve students that are first-generation students, right, low-income students. Now the orientation to what you're thinking about from a customer experience is fundamentally different. And here's where... I get frustrated with our industry. Harvard is the pinnacle. And I always say to people, I, I can't be like Harvard, nor do I want to be. I'm serving a completely different student, right? It's like if if, if when I went to, the, to buy a Toyota, right? They were treating me like I was going to a Rolls Royce dealership. <laughs> completely different thing, right? I'm a completely different customer. And I have to think about it, it differently. So I think that that's one. The other element I would say is, that there are things that we can do via technology that that, that get young people, especially young people, to think, wow, okay, right? To open up their minds to the possibilities. And I think that's where we have to give them an opportunity to think, I didn't realize that was possible.
0: Yeah. I learned how to type in the tutoring center of St. Francis. Oh, really? When I came, I... I bought my first computer, not even a whole computer. I bought parts and I paid another guy to make it in Bulgaria mm-hmm. with my first money from my exchange student program. And when I came here, I had used that God knows what type of a computer for ICQ to communicate with a student in St. Francis. So one of the brothers could help me get through the tuition stuff and yeah. write Yahoo emails. I had never typed a paper. I had never typed in English. So I would say people like you and colleges like you are the ones that really create this economic movement and and move students and humans from one economic level to another. And for that inflection point, the application and what a technology application would solve you know, for a student is very different than what it... And it actually may may be less impactful in a top-tier school. Because of who you serve, you may actually have the amplitude and the impact on 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 a human's life could be exponentially bigger than the margin that somebody like Harvard would have. And that's why I get passionate and excited about to talk to people like you and work with people like you who are also having this this passion and that purpose in life because, like you said, the combination and the weight, that's where the challenge is, is having that right ratio. You know, we talked with a retail uh, expert yesterday on the show, and we talked about the same with designing stores. It's not necessarily... These pieces, they're building blocks, like you said, the personnel, the technology... It's the art, the art of customer experience is the design, right? It's that fusion oh, yeah. and that vision of how you're going to flex it, Where going to be high touch, where is it going to be low touch, and why. And having that intentionality in the design and then testing and reiterating and seeing is the human behavior following the design or the intention of the design you put in. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's not an easy task.
1: It's not any- no, and, and 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 you know the the other problem I think we we were pushing I think the iterative process right, the technology is changing so rapidly, although it's not as, you know I think also just to use in our in our in our case student, it's deceiving because really the value add on the on the incremental is not really a value, and we've been convinced, right that it is but it's really not but I think that's another one that's tricky okay, for instance you could use a, a Chromebook I'm not selling Chromebook I'm a, you know, but you could use a Chromebook to do more than people think you can do on a Chromebook like people say no no I need a real laptop what does that mean that you need a real laptop <laughs> right what do you need it for so um, yeah
0: what um, now that we're talking about this strategic kind of thinking what do you think is one topic that should be on the agenda of a board of a higher ed education in 2021?
1: I think that one of the things we're looking to do um, is go fully hybrid. We were talking about this prior to the pandemic. And I and I tell you that and let me let, let me tell you quickly why. There's a lot of conversation now with the with you know with the pandemic that you know we're waiting for us to come back to january twenty twenty where we have basically the same experience face to face et cetera, and we're not the only industry that real that should realize let me say is not going back to january twenty twenty and I always like to tell my colleagues january twenty twenty wasn't that great anyway so don't get too- <laughs> we had to be rethinking, but here's an opportunity right to think about what it means to be hybrid. When I arrived here, I suggested this and people looked at me, you know, suspiciously, but I said, look, a couple of things, looking at it from the perspective, this is what I told the staff, let's look at it from the perspective of our students. Okay. You know where we are in Brooklyn. If you're in Astoria, Queens, it takes you a long time to get here, even though it's 12 miles away. Right. So a lot of times I have colleagues outside and say, well, I mean, how hard could it be to get there? It's difficult. It could take you 90 minutes some days. And they say, well, that's, so now, that's, you know, they think that doesn't make sense, but it does make sense in New York. So I say to them, look, if you're a young person in the story of Queens and you want to come to St. Francis College and we say to you, you have to come four or five days a week. Now you might have three hours of commuting every day. If you do four days, that's 12 hours. That's a lot of time to spend on a bus and a train. If I say to you, you know what, Liliana, we've got a structure that's set up that you just come Monday, Tuesday. You're, you have all your classes are face-to-face one time a week, and then the rest of the learning takes place both synchronously online and asynchronously you can stay in a Queens, of meetings, work your job there. You only come two days a week, create a schedule that's better for you. I said that's an important piece, right? You can do that when you go into Coney Island to get here too. It takes a long time. Right? And people say, really, you're thinking about it that way. Sometimes you need an outsider to tell you what's obvious because I think that's pretty obvious, right? You go to the Bronx, right? I got on a train to go see a Yankees game. And I think, yeah, great. It's one train line, but it's a long train ride <laughs> to get here. And so that's one. Two, what is happening in the world of work? This is not because of COVID has accelerated these things. Already we know in the world of work, People were getting flex schedules. People were working more from home. People were going into less to offices. I mean, if we even think about the major financial firms, their staff were mainly on planes all the time, flying all around the world, all around the country. So this was already a direction that was going. And so for me, for some time, what I hear businesses say to me is that we need young people that can work independently, that have initiative, right? That can learn Independently that understand where their gaps are what they need to learn, so I say also here I say, look, this is a perfect opportunity from a from a pure customer experience practical sense it makes sense, but more than that, the value in a student having a hybrid experience think about yourself if you had gone four years and your experience all your classes would have been hybrid in face component online component all your When you finish your degree, you're going to be pretty adept at learning, working in teams and other things via technology, because you didn't do it in one class. You did it in 30 classes, right? And so that's what I'm trying to get. And we're close now to moving in that direction. Even with this COVID, most of our classes in the fall will be hybrid in format. And I have a lot of colleagues that have said, you're going to do that for, why don't you just go face to face like you did before? I said, because, look, the student needs something else. The learning environment should be different. And so that's a place where we're looking. Now, very intentionally, I want to just say this so you 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 feel this. We have our, our VP academic, our uh, chief student affairs officer, our dean of students, and our assistant vice president for enrollment have brought their teams together. I don't know how many times. They started this in late January to think about what the students need for us from us in fall that they didn't need from us in the previous fall or the previous fall or the previous fall. That is a back to the iterative process, right? Putting the students at the center. What was their high school experience like? How's that going to impact their readiness for college? How is there going to impact that we have some students, think about this, is is wild. We have some students that have been enrolled with the college for the year that have never been to the facilities. What's it going to feel like to them to come to the facilities next year, right? For the first time. And they're second year students, not first year students, right? What's going to happen to the high school student that hasn't been in a campus environment, in a school environment for 18 months, and all of a sudden they're going to walk in a building again? How do we begin to think about what they're experiencing emotionally? Are they ready to learn in that space, right? There's a lot of elements that I'm very proud of our team because I don't think most people are thinking as deeply as we are about what the students. Have felt and experienced and what that means for their arrival at the college
0: yeah it's interesting because it's also a trade off between creating the community aspect. I could see that as a former you know student, I can tell you the upside would have been I could work from work, I could study like you know I mean the flexibility of learning on my right. own pace at the middle of the night because I was working a couple of jobs, but then on the flip side, I can tell you one of the things that I'm realizing in retrospect is my community in NYU later on that I built and the network that today helps me through life is two to three times stronger than the St. Francis network. And I always wondered, was it because I myself wasn't available to engage with it because yeah. I had to go and do what I had to do? Or was it because... um NYU is just richer school. So, you know, they had more programming or what is it that created that? But I see the long life impact um, of NYU being greater, unfortunately, and I hate to say that. And it's because of that network that just keeps coming back in business opportunities in um, interview opportunities or whatever it may be. And I worry that the digital stuff is going to take that even less, as of a less of an impact because now it's going to be halved in terms of. It's not just going to be you; it's going to be everybody. What is going to be the thing that saves us in the long, long term yeah. if we don't have those relationships that we only have the time? To really carve in college and in in grad school because we still have more time than when we have two kids and (laughs) you know and a mortgage and all that so there is this kind of time bound capsule of building networks that hopefully you then cash out you know cash in and kind of get benefit from um and i i don't know again i don't know the answer but i wonder in the in the college and, and and university experience if uh, how are we going to offset that uh, natural kind of a deficiency that we'll create in just the, the richness? Yeah, of let,
1: let, yeah. Let me tell you. Let me. T- I think there's some ways here. Here, let me tell you. This is getting counterintuitive for a lot of people. I said. I said to the to the staff, we need more space because we had record enrollments this year. Actually, it, nice. Again, Congratulations. For people, I think there's a couple of things we need to think about. Yeah, at NYU, it happens. It happens at different institutions. We're a commuter institution, as you know. So one of the things that happens when we don't have a campus, right, you have to be much more intentional. So we're building out the student life. We, when I first arrived, I think there were four people in student life, right? So your experience here would have very minimal student life programming, right? We have really amplified that. The other thing is, I think you have to be more intentional. You have to think differently about what you do in the space when your space is limited. Why do I mean that? We take for granted that the students are going to come three days a week. Now, if we say to ourselves, they're only going to come once or twice, you have to be thinking differently about how you shape the experience. Also, in the classroom, so I teach a class online, and I do it, it's, it's a three-hour, the class should be three hours, but we only meet an hour and a half. So my hour and a half has to be dialed in. Now, if I had a three hour, I could be a little sloppy, right? You know what I mean? Because I don't waste time. Now I can. I have 90 minutes. I need to build community. We do two and three breakout sessions in 90 minutes, right? Bring them out, uh, in out in out to build community. Here's the other thing about intentionality that I think we have to think differently. And I said to them, We need the space. I say, give up, take my suite where I am sitting now. They go, What do you mean? I say I don't need an office. And they say, you're the president of the college. What do you mean I don't need an office? Right? And I said, let's think about it. I walk into the building, not now with COVID, but I mean, I come in now sometimes, but let's just say prior COVID, right? I come into the building in the morning. I usually get here before everybody, most people, right? So I come in and it doesn't matter if I get here after some people. I say hi to everybody. I come to my office. I don't leave my office until the night. Nobody knows I'm here. What's happening? Now, if you said to me as a president, you don't have an office, how are you going to engage your constituent groups? I'm going to do something very intentional. I might come only on Tuesdays or Tuesdays, Thursdays. I might come in the morning Tuesdays, the afternoons Wednesdays. But now I'm going to go to the cafeteria. I'm going to go see the students. right? I might go tell a couple of the vice presidents, let me talk to your divisions the day I'm on campus. Right, I'm going to be visible, intentionally visible, as opposed to what we do now, I think, is we take for granted. Right, I'm here. I'm here. You're here. You're locked in your office. You're not really here. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, the, yeah. I, what
0: does it mean being here?
1: <laughs> right. It's not, I mean, my off, Yeah. you know where my office is. Do you know even where the president's office is? No, actually. <laughs> right. Eighth floor. Top floor. I, I, I know a, it's on
0: the top floor. <laughs>
1: Off floor, in the corner, nobody comes. The students don't have to come. So it's not like I interact with the students when I'm in the office. So why I tell you that is this is where I think it's also with online learning, but I think it's also with, with marketing, communication for business, that we think we're doing the same thing we did, but we're using technology. No, no, no. If that's what you're doing, you're wasting your money. You have to think at a fundamental level different. It's like we're telling the faculty, you're not just translating your in-person class online. That's not good, right? It's how do you begin to think? I will tell you for myself, you can probably tell my personality. When I taught face-to-face, right, I have very, uh, I have difficulty, <laughs> just to be honest. <laughs> I have difficulty doing group work because I'm so frenetic. I can't sit still. So if I tell you, okay, everybody, we're going to do this exercise, seven minutes pair up, I can't stay quiet. So I'm getting, I get antsy. So I, I, I had a woman, I used to team teach in different things. She would kick me out of the class. Now, <laughs> no, really, really. But online, think about this online. When I send them to the groups, they're in the groups. I can't see them. There's no interruption. I don't interrupt the conversations. Now I can go to the groups, right? Because I can pop in and out of groups, but I'm not interrupting them. And actually, I'm going to tell you something. They are incredibly lively in their little groups. I think there's also an advantage here on, online. I don't think it's the panacea, but I think there's an advantage, especially at the start. You know that awkward moment when you're a first-year student and the professor says, all right, break up into groups. Everyone's like, oh, I don't want to be in a group. Who are you going to put me with, right? Or they say to you sometimes, we say, just get in groups like where you're sitting and you look at the person. I, I don't want that person in my group right here. You don't get any choice, right? Because it's random. Yeah, it's random. I hit a button, oh, and you end up in a group. And you're also safer because you're not faced. You're not in person. Yes, yes. So the, you know, so there's there's some elements in where you feel safer. You're more inclined to talk. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, we may be off track, but I think that's no. The, it's how good.
0: I understand. No, I understand. It's the it's the fundamental, really, design of how we do business. I think is for yeah. me the biggest key uh, take takeaway here. What keeps you grounded in your work?
1: I'm gonna give you an example. My um my I I've taught in correctional facilities a long time. That you could probably find that online. I did I find
0: know. that online. Okay, <laughs>
1: okay so, yeah, so I didn't share that one. Um. And my daughter, you know, my daughter would say, she would say to me, this is some time ago, she says, Papi, why do you go teach in prisons? And uh, I would say, why do you think, Mommy? And she would say to me, I don't know. And so just in the place where she was, where she asked the questions most. uh, We were in a town where I used to teach Thursday nights in a prison outside of the city. And then Saturday mornings, I would teach in a different location, closer to the house. So Thursday night she would see me because I'd come home late at night, 11 o'clock or midnight after teaching in the night. And then the Saturday she would see me. I would call home, right? I'd be home by 1130 or noon after doing a class inside. And she would say, you come home so happy, puppy. So you must be having fun. Is that why you do it? And I said, well, I said, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with having fun. But you think that's the reason I do it? And she says, I don't know, but... You also think that philosophy and poetry is important in people's lives. And so you probably, people don't go teach philosophy and poetry in prison. So you want people to have access? I go, right. What else? And she says, and she's known this her whole life, you know, small child. She said, because you think part of living a full, she doesn't talk this way, but this is what she said. She was like nine years old. Living, you're supposed to be of service to others. I think, yeah, absolutely. Now, what I would tell you also is, that's all true. What I would tell you also is that I think luck plays a lot of, a big part in our lives. And, and, and let me tell you why I say that. Because if you believe that you have earned every single thing that you've gotten, you're likely, the likeliness that you're going to give back is diminished. My general sense is, if you believe that you've been fortunate for some reason that you were not in control of, you might be more inclined to give back, right? You feel blessed, to use that expression. And in fact, my view is on this. Those of us that have fairly good circumstances, relatively speaking, are just lucky in some regards, right? I mean, it's not to say, because people, I, I have this discussion, people say, you work hard for this and that. Yeah, I'm not denying that. What I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is that there are people that have worked as hard as me and have done all the right things and didn't get what I got. I sometimes was in the right place at the right time. Yo, but you did it. You did it. I go, mm, no. So for me, that's one of the things that just tell you to keep me grounded is that I realize when I go inside to teach in the correctional facilities, that could have been me. Right, I could have been caught at the right, in the wrong place at the wrong time, and now I could be in prison. Right, and so I don't. I think it's important for me not to take my accomplishments too seriously.
0: Yeah, no, I you know? I, I actually see what you're saying. Yeah. I I watched a movie if you haven't seen it called Parasite uh, that impacted yeah, yeah. me, and it kind of had the same message. Well, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're I you're I had a wonderful time. For um, our listeners uh, that want to keep, get in touch with you or learn more about you, where where can they go?
1: Uh, www.sfc.edu. Uh, you it's, navigate the site. Send me an email from there. President at sfc.edu. LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> I don't know what all those things are, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. So, uh, okay. Easy to find. I should be easy to find. Okay. Thank you. All right.
0: The One Thing is produced by the Petrova Experience in partnership with Mount Media Network. Copyright 2021. Visit thepetrovaexperience.com and find The Petrova Experience and me, Liliana Petrova, on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find me on Twitter, at Liliana Petrova. Thank you for listening.
1: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.